This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money Series XM Channel 132 Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. And I'm Kent Smethers. They'll join you by Zoom, but you we can hopefully begin my uh, our, our live shows again. But in the meantime, you can connect with me by going to my website, kent.money.com. And as you know, certainly Social Security is critical to the health of many uh, older Americans, in particular financial health with four and five hold by ARP, expecting to rely on it during their later years. Um, certainly, there's a lot of analysis out there about the finances of Social Security and where it's headed. And so our guest today um, will talk about that. He's David Sertner. He's the Legislative Counsel and Director for the Legislative Policy uh, for Government Affairs Group at AARP, and has testified many times before Congress and regulatory bodies and many media outlets. David, it's been probably 20 years since we talked. It's great to uh, connect with you again. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, in fact, remember years ago, our conversations were about Social Security. So, you know, certainly um, it is Social Security trustees have said the trust fund depletion date is 2035. CBL puts it a little bit earlier than that 2031. So we're talking about, depending on who you, what projections you prefer and so forth, you know, maybe, maybe a decade or 14 years from now, Social Security depletion date of the trust fund. That of course doesn't mean Social Security will have no money to pay out. So explain that, what, what does that all mean? Right, and thanks. And, and again, uh, I know we probably haven't uh, seen each other for about 20 years or so, but. Uh, Quite frankly, much of the debate and the discussion really hasn't uh, changed a lot about Social Security since we haven't really made too many fundamental changes to the program. I mean, the good news is we do look at Social Security every year through its trust fund, so we have a pretty good sense of its financial status. And again, the good news for Social Security is, look, for at least 10 years or so, the Social Security trust funds are in good shape and everybody's going to get the benefits they've been promised. However, there is a longer term challenge. And the reason for that challenge really is that you know, people are living longer and that perhaps more importantly, they're having less children, meaning there are less workers paying into the system. So because of that demographic imbalance, uh, there's basically a, a longer term financial challenge for social security. Now, having said that, the trust funds hold nearly $3 trillion. Uh, we're spending those down now. So as you know, they'll be depleted in 10 to 15 years or so. But even at that point, when the trust funds have been spent down, there's still money coming into the Social Security system. So there's still payroll taxes and other revenue coming into the system. So Social Security never actually goes broke. And I think that's a, a big myth that people have to understand. Even in the worst case scenario, Social Security will still be able to pay nearly 80% of its promised benefits. And that's well throughout the rest of the century. But of course, having a 20% cut you know, happen in 10 to 15 years or so is not good. We don't want that to happen. Uh, we don't want to hit that shortfall. And we think that Congress needs to act uh, preferably sooner rather than later uh, to ensure right. that people get their benefits. 
Yeah, and there seems to be bipartisan, at least amongst economists, consensus that, you know, acting sooner is certainly much better than kind of acting later. You know, that 20% reduction, as you pointed out, is not just to new benefits. It really is across the board. Even people receiving benefits 90 years old at that time could see a benefit reduction. Of course, that is unlikely to happen. Congress would take some action, but it is um, certainly a potentially big outcome if Congress does nothing. So talking about Congress, you know, certainly there's this uh, claim out there in the media that one reason why Congress waits so long before the, you know, taking action, we saw this with 1983, the last big fundamental change was, hey, you know, um, that's because they don't care. It's uh, they don't actually put pay into the program. So kind of fix that myth for us. Well, certainly Congress uh, does pay into the program now, and that's it has a, been yeah. a complaint that we've heard that that Congress doesn't care about the program program because they're not covered by it. But that's not true. Uh, when we did the last bailout package in 1984, uh, Congress was included in Social Security along with everybody else, and so they also pay into the system, just like every American worker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about, you know, it's always controversial, you know, we talk about immigrants and, you know, there's, you know, I run the Penn and Wharton budget model and we've seen just so many positive benefits of uh, immigration. Um, and we see that in so many different ways, but there is this kind of belief that, you know, undocumented immigrants, you know, drain on social security. <laughs> it's actually just the opposite. So explain that. Right. Of course, that's another myth. You you have to have a Social Security number to be covered by Social Security and get Social Security benefits. So if you right. are undocumented, uh, you are not allowed to claim or receive benefits. Uh, however, we do know that some of these folks actually do pay into the system. Uh, so even though they pay into the right. system, they're not entitled to any benefits. So there's never any benefits that go to an undocumented citizen, although sometimes they do pay into the system. Yeah, and it's it's uh, and that's exactly right. And it, first of all, the months we're talking about are very small. But secondly, um, to get a job, they may actually be using somebody else's social security number. Um, so they are paid into the system, but they actually aren't collecting uh, uh, late, later on. Um, so let's talk about is, is the social security um, benefits and taxes on them. Of course, we pay payroll taxes on our labor income while we are working. Um, in fact, their benefits are also taxed, and they have been, in fact, not even indexed for inflation. So talk about that and why, why that tax on benefits has actually increased over time. Yeah, so the tax on benefits uh, initially was put in Social Security as part of the rescue package back in 1983. So Social Security benefits are subject to tax. Now, there's thresholds uh, for a single person. That threshold is... Uh, $25,000. For a married couple, it's $32,000. So if you have income above that threshold, then 50% of your Social Security benefits are subject to tax. Uh, and by the way, the, the money from that tax goes back into Social Security. Sure. But that's a good thing. And that was part of the, the bailout package. Uh, there was also a, an additional second tier of tax put on uh, about a, a decade later uh, at thresholds of $34,000 for a single and $44,000 for a couple. So if you hit those thresholds, then an additional 35%, so a total of 85% of Social Security benefits would be taxed at your uh, general income levels. 
Again, good news there, if there's any, is that that money goes back into the Medicare system. So there is a tax on benefits and it does go back to the Social Security Medicare programs. Yeah, and it's important that people understand these are not the tax rates that you know are you're you're talking about. You're still being taxed at the at the often very low income tax rate uh, in retirement, but those are the the share of the um, benefits that are subject to that tax. And so sometimes people go the opposite direction and embellish how, how big that is. But it is interesting. I mean, uh, that that tax is going to capture more people because it's not indexed to inflation. And so, I mean, uh, but that's been, that was part of the design you know, back then uh, to allow for that inflation creep. So talk about one of the things that people don't really understand is, you know, they think, it, it, so it's financial advisors, we often try to encourage people to postpone their claiming to age 70 to get a much bigger benefit, especially survivors benefit. I mean, social security is incredibly valuable in the sense that it's one of the only ways you can get a true inflation protected annuity. And, you know, the survivor benefit is, is, is pretty incredible as, as well. Um, but there's this belief that, hey, if I'm working beyond you know, retirement age, you know, I'm going to be losing um, benefits, either because of the earnings tax or just some other kind of myth out there. Now, I will say even well-meaning financial advisors sometimes make this mistake. So clarify that. Right. And there's probably two important pieces here that you just referred to. There's the earnings test below um, the retirement age. And then there's the delayed right. retirement credit after uh, the formal retirement age. And so you have two different things going on there. But uh, as you noted, Social Security is really crucial to the income of retirees. So for most people, Social Security is their largest source of retirement income. So how you manage your Social Security benefit in retirement is really critical. So when you choose to take Social Security uh, can be really critical, particularly over the course of your lifetime. And so for people below the uh, retirement age, and, and right now the retirement age is actually 66 years and two months, it's, it's slowly going up to uh, age 67. But if you're before that age, yeah. right? But if you're before that age, you hit what's called an earnings test. And so for every dollar uh, above a certain income level, and it's roughly $19,000 this year, uh, but for every $2 you earn, Social Security will withhold withhold a dollar uh, of your uh, earnings. Now, people think that may be lost money, but it's not lost money. You'll get that money back later because Social Security will recalculate your benefit for any reduction of, due to the earnings test. And you'll get that benefit back when you reach the uh, federal retirement age. So people should understand that. Secondly, is what happens when you do hit the, the federal retirement age, whether it be 66 or 67 in the next few years or so. So if you delay taking your benefits uh, when you reach the, that retirement age, you can actually boost your benefit and you can boost it for, by an amount of 8% for each year uh, up until yeah. the age of 70. And this is a pretty substantial boost if you think about it. If you delay your retirement for three years, you can increase your Social Security benefit, which may be your largest benefit, uh, by 24% if you wait for three years. Yeah. And that 24% increase is going to carry over for the rest of your lifetime. So managing your 
retirement money, your Social Security money, when you take Social Security is a really big financial decision for most people. And we understand some people can't delay taking. They, they may need to take it because they may need the income uh, to rely upon. But it's a really important decision to make. Uh, it's one that really you should spend some time uh, figuring out because if you if you can delay taking your benefit, if you can get a delayed retirement credit, you're going to be in a much better financial situation for the rest of your life. And of course, not only your life, but it will also raise the spousal benefit as well uh, sh should you pass on. So it's a really uh, critical issue. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it raises the spousal benefit while you're alive. And if your you're secondary earners qualifies that way, and then it's the survivor's benefit, you know, once you pass it along. And, you know, it's incredibly valuable. I, I remember a year or so ago, I probably had Larry Kalik off on this show talking about Social Security and gave an example of uh, somebody who had terminal cancer and was about to pass away within the year. And he said, well, certainly I should be claiming benefits, you know, before age 70, because after all, I'm going to pass away. And in fact, uh, Larry convinced them correctly that no, postpone, because the point is your spouse will get a much bigger benefit and um that that advice was exactly right so it's a lot of times people just don't understand the survivor's benefit itself i mean social security is just inflation adjusted joint annuity very hard to get that anywhere else and so it has a lot of value even if you think that you yourself are less healthy so finally this cost of living adjustment you know makes the news every year um it, it, of course, you know, talk about how it's calculated. Um, and of course, there's, you know, this controversy about whether it's using the really the right CPI for older people. Right. Well, the Social Security uh, COLA is based on the annual calculation of the consumer price index uh, for workers called CPIW. And that's based on the increase yeah. in goods and services over the year and, and in this market basket that the federal government uses, not just for Social Security, by the way, but this is a very uh, you know, broad calculation used for a lot of things in the marketplace. Right. There's almost always an increase in the, in the uh, CPI. So there's almost always an increase in the Social Security COLA. But of course, there have been some pretty slow uh, years in the last decade in particular. And there were three years in the past decade where there was no increase in the uh, cost of living adjustment. So that was a bit unusual in its in its history. But there's usually... Uh, a cost of living adjustment based on the CPI. Now, I will certainly say that, as you mentioned, I mean, many people on Social Security feel that the COLA really just isn't large enough, generally speaking, to help them keep up with the cost of inflation, with the cost of their own, uh, basically, market basket of goods and services. And in some perspective, that's actually true, because the formula is really based on a market basket for workers, not for retirees. And retirees in particular, uh, tend to have a, a more heavy reliance on things like healthcare and prescription drugs, which generally right. speaking tend up to go tend to go up much faster than the marketplace, mu much faster than inflation in general, uh, which accounts for a few you know a few tens every year. Um, but generally speaking, we know we hear from our members all the time that they feel that the cola doesn't exactly keep up with their with their cost of living. But I think it's really important to understand that you know having an annual cost of living you know, over your retirement lifetime is, is absolutely huge because without that, you would fall dramatically further behind what you were able to afford. And so the yeah. call. And I could totally agree with you. It's easy to nitpick on the formula, but don't miss the big picture that is an incredibly valuable 
benefit um, because the real purchasing power, I always call, I say, you know, inflation is a death by a thousand cuts. You know, it just, it's incredibly subtle, but compound that really erodes the value um, over time. So that inflation adjustment really only available in social security and, and in some military pension uh, plans and some other federal government, but it's really hard to find otherwise. So incredibly valuable. David, fantastic job. Thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Always, always happy to talk about Social Security. Uh, we know how important it is to uh, not just our members, but but younger people today who very often think, well, sure. you know, security won't be there for me. It won't be that important for me. But I can tell you that's the way that our members felt 30 years ago. And it really is a critical part of their retirement security today. Yep. And if you want to get more questions answered, you can go to the the AARP website and uh, just AARP.org. And I'm Kent Smithers. You're listening to your Money Business Radio Channel 132 here in Sirius XM. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 